funny. Speaking of Sag Harbor, I went there Friday night. It was quite. Hang out, did you hang with Tiger? Well, it was quite lively. I mean, the Hamptons are sleepy, but there's there's this one French joint right on the marina in Sag Harbor. It was such a scene. I apparently I should have worn white jeans and a pastel shirt. That's like the unofficial uniform. Uh-huh. It, it, everyone was wearing it to the point it was almost like silly. But Tiger has a nice sized boat, but in that marina there were some super yachts that dwarfed his. And I really, I wouldn't be surprised if Tiger gets a bigger boat because it must have been an affront to his pride. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, his boat was, was barely in the median size. Are you speaking of privacy? Yeah, privacy. <laughs> Hello, this is Alan Shipnock. Welcome back for another podcast for The Knockdown. It is Sunday night at Shinnecock Hills. I am joined by my esteemed and sleepy-eyed colleague, Michael Bamberger. Thanks for putting up with this, Michael. As we say tribally, right on, brother. <laughs> the U.S. Open is a war of attrition, even for the riders. So uh, we're, we're a little low energy. But I brought something along. You know, the uh, rum company Goslings sponsored our video efforts. And they have these little dark and stormies in a can. It's rum and ginger beer. Hold on. Let's crack one for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers. Okay. I, I have been a recovering alcoholic for the last seven years, three days, and whatever. But here goes. It was worth it. <laughs> to you, Gosling's is a uh, a product, but to me, it's a man, Mr. Gosling. I've met him several times. Mr. Malcolm Gosling, great guy. Couldn't have more fun than hanging out with with Malcolm Gosling. Have you not met the man? I have not. Have you not hung in Bermuda at all? I've been to Bermuda once. I played Minotian Club. It was fabulous, but that was a long time ago. And I understand. How do you know this? The Goslings uh, have been around there for a thousand years, Alan. Anyway, I don't know. He's just a very big presence. He's a really very nice man, and he loves golf. And uh, he's got a great dark and stormy here. <laughs> Enjoy so it. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> That's the least I could do. Brooks Kepka is our national champion. How Can do you just make it clear? I'm not a recovering alcoholic, <laughs> and I have the highest respect for those who are not mocking in any way. Agreed. There, there probably some guys on the tour are in the 12 step program, and if they would, there may be one or two in this press tent as well. Oh. <laughs> God, there's one or two in every row. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um, Brooks Kepka won the U.S. Open. How do I we feel about that? A, well, I think now is a good time to remind the listenership <laughs> of your outstanding Sports Illustrated piece of only one year ago. It's hard to believe that just a year ago, you and I were, to use the title, senior writers at Sports Illustrated magazine. There it goes, another crack of the can. And uh, I stood in awe, as I think I've told you before, of... Uh, of your handling of the Brooks Kepka game story in that situation years ago. Months ago. Because he's not an easy person to write about. So he's let me not. ask you this. How'd you write him up tonight on deadline 1400 words for golf, for the golf.com readership? Well, very effective way to parry the question back at me. Um, it was, com- it was compelling, not because Brooks Kepka is compelling. He's, he's aloof and affectless to the point. It's hard to know how much he, he burns inside. I mean, last year he didn't even celebrate on the, the 72nd green. This year he gave a half-hearted fist pump. Like, if, if he doesn't show any emotion, it's hard for us to channel any emotion, you know, as spectators and, and chroniclers of the event. But I thought that his, his, his date with Destiny, you know, his pairing with Dustin Johnson was really fascinating. You know, his best friend on tour, the guy he works out with every day. And Brooks has always been the little brother in that, 
in that scenario. He's been, you know, the Robin to, to uh, DJ's Batman. And, you know, deservedly, Dustin came into this week with 18 career victories. Brooks had two. And hmm. Dustin's been number one That's in the world amazing. for a year and a half. So they're a different stature in the game. But, you know, Brooks really took it to Dustin today in a very personal way. I mean, he showed no quarter out there. And that... And he said it in his press conference, you know, I get no respect. He went full Rodney Dangerfield. And, you know, Claude Harmon, his, his swing coach, who I talked to afterwards, said, you know, he thrives on those little slights. And he mentioned that on Thursday night, the Golf Channel coverage, when they list other notables, Brooks wasn't even mentioned, you know, defending champ. Like, if, if I'm Brooks Kepka and I, I look like a movie star and I'm dating a movie star and I have... I'm financially secure for the rest of my life. Do I really care if I'm on the golf channel? Other mm -hmm. notables? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, who cares? But apparently yeah. he does, and that drives him. So I think this was his chance to change the, the dynamic with Dustin forever. Dustin may not have realized that, but I know Brooks did. And, and you know, he shoved it down Dustin's throat, and he won back-to-back -back U.S. Opens, only the seventh man to do so. And it's pretty, you know, you've got, you're talking about Ben Hogan and Bobby Jones and some guys like that. Curtis, Curtis Strange, who who... I talked to afterwards, and he was quite emotional and quite into the whole thing because he walked with, with Brooks as uh, a TV commentator. So Brooks doesn't give you much. He doesn't reveal much of his inner self, and he's not a great quote, and he's not very funny. But uh, it was still a compelling day, and there was a lot to write about. I don't mean this question as a joke. What do you, what do you, when those two guys are together, where do you think their conversation goes beyond golf and fitness? Boats chicks mm -hmm. houses money mm -hmm. more or less what all of us talk about but mm -hmm. on a slightly different level um, mm -hmm. i mean they, they i've talked to them about it and another thing that was advantageous is last month's golf magazine cover story was about brooks and dustin they were on the cover i wrote the story i hung out with them in the gym in south florida with their trainer joey d and so i had a lot of that material and a lot of insight that i could draw upon for my time with them and and you know we talked about that and Brooks said, yeah, the conversations are really short. <laughs> mm -hmm. they, they, you know how like when you're texting a family member and you're just trying to convey information real quickly? Right. That's how their actual real-life conversations are. Right. <laughs> I, right. I don't think that um, they go very deep, but that's okay. They're sort of comfortable with who they are. They're not trying to impress each other with their, their intellect, and they just they enjoy each other's company, and they have a lot of shared interests, and mm -hmm. um, they get along nicely. It's interesting because I think it takes a lot of intelligence of a type to come to a difficult course like Shinnecock Hills um, or Oakmont where, uh, where of course DJ won two years ago and figure out what you need to do to win on the course. John Daly at the old course is a, is a, is a great example of it. Um, you know, golf is chess at some level, definitely always. And uh, you've got to understand what you, what you have to do and what you can't do uh, to play a course. Well, uh, so I give both these guys uh, a lot of credit, and um, I just wonder where that particular kind of intelligence, which I think is kind of an artistic, visual intelligence, shows up in uh, in daily life. Well, you saw with Brooks on the 14th hole. You know, he's 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 plus one, leading the tournament. Tommy Fleetwood's in at plus two, so he has no margin for error. And Fleetwood's score is you know hanging over his head like this this piano on a fraying rope, right? It, and um, he drives into into the junk, and but 
he, you know, he just wedged out 67 yards toward the green, got up and down. And that was probably the key sequence of the whole day yeah. and the, the victory along with what happened on 11 when he saved another spectacular bogey. And so is that intelligence? It, it's certainly course management. It's, it's keeping your composure and in, in, in the moment and yeah. thinking your way through some difficult situations. So, I mean, it, you know how there's like the Wonderlick test for, for aspiring quarterbacks in mm-hmm. the NFL. Like, it would be fascinating if we could give that to every player yeah. on tour. I mean, I think, we, we know just uh, Jordan Spieth would be near the top, probably Tiger, maybe Phil. Yeah. Um, but maybe Brooks and Dustin would surprise you where they came in because. I mean, how about Dustin Johnson shooting 41 on a part of 35 on that yeah. front nine on Saturday and still contending in the U.S. Open? That is out of the. That's a score out of the 20s, if not the <laughs> teens. Yeah, I mean, Dustin, it's, it's, it's really. He got Shinnecocked, you know. Um, and you have to wonder if the, the Saturday setup was was some fear by the the blue coats that Dustin was going to blow this tournament open and Sunday would be a coronation, and that that was part of why they pushed the course to the edge and beyond in some spots. And you know, Dustin putted beautifully over the first two rounds. I mean, his strokes gained on putting was was off the charts, and and then he, he comes out and he, what, he three putts the second hole on Saturday and he looked spooked after he that. He did. I mean, he had six. They weren't th- close. They weren't close. He had six three putts over the weekend. That, yeah. I mean, Hank Haney used to tell Tiger, if you don't three putt once, you'll win every tournament. That was yeah. like the key stat to have six in two rounds. It was brutal. And, uh, you know, the greens were way more playable today, but Dustin had just lost his confidence. He'd lost, you could, he was grinding on the reach. He could even read the putts. I mean, it was hard to watch. And, it's a huge missed opportunity for him because if you win a U.S. Open at Oakmont and you win a U.S. Open at Shinnecock, you are the king of the U.S. Open. Yeah. I mean, those are the two most demanding, prestigious, and kind of classic venues in my mind. Everyone knows I'm a Pebble Beach homer, but I think mm-hmm. Oakmont and Shinnecock are the ultimate venues. And Dustin had that chance, and he blew it. What do you think about what our old colleague Gary Van Sickle used to say, that you only need three U.S. Open courses, Shinnecock Hills, Oakmont, and the Pebble Beach Golf Links? I would be very happy with that. I mean, I, I think you could sprinkle in, you could sprinkle in Pinehurst occasionally. It's a cool venue. It's had some great opens, um, but I don't need much more than that. I wouldn't either. Yeah, maybe that's really where this USJ needs to go. Is much like the British Open, select six, seven, eight courses and just go back again and again and again, where, where they can really, really get to know and understand the courses, and not have to overdo it every time they come there. Yeah, I mean, they have sort of mm-hmm. consolidated the rota when you look at, they've announced, what, through 27, and Pebble's on there twice, and Shinnecock's on there again. So they, I right. think they're, the Chambers Bay and the Aaron Hills, they're worthwhile experiments. We can, they probably fail. They've announced through 27. Yeah. And I understand Marion will be 30. <coughs> yeah, that's, so that's hot inside information from a Philly guy right there. That makes only 28 and 29. Maybe, well, maybe you're on to something. Maybe that's really wh- where their mind is. Yes. I feel. Like, wh- what did you feel about their Mike Davis's uh, apology for the course on Saturday? Well, th- this is an interesting question on, on so many levels. I mean, a- after they after they burnt I'd like, out, I'd like the listenership to know that you're now wiping your brow, in <laughs> literally, brow concentration. <laughs> it's like I've been thinking about this for days. I'm trying to. How can we? It um, was only last night, Alan. I know well, it seems like kind of feels like a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after they after they blew in two thousand and four, that was that was in every preview story. We're not going to blow it again, you know. We 
<laughs> we we learned our lessons. We have all these sophisticated instruments, uh, agronomy advances. We can't blow it, and they still did. I mean, um, the thing that kills me is them saying, "Well, we didn't expect the wind." Hello, it's always windy here. You can see the freaking so water. Yeah. I mean, what what the hell? Like, give me something better than that. Our former uh, boss, Mark Mulvoy, sent me a funny note from Paris and said the following. Here's my message for the uh, USGA. They should bring in the RNA to set up their courses. <laughs> That's not bad. All, I mean, the RNA's had some cock-ups lately to use the, the British vernacular. But, um, I mean, really, there was only a few holes that got out of control yesterday. It was really 13 and 15, and that was it. The, the rest of the course was, was playable. But On Saturday? On Saturday. Yeah. But downwind, downhill putts were impossible. And Brooks said something in his champions press conference. It was, I thought insightful. He said, yeah, downhill downwind was, was a, was kind of a joke, but that's golf. You know, don't hit it there, stay below the hole. And so there's an element of that. The guys who were complaining, there was some user error involved as well. Um, but unfortunately the USGA totally overreacted to the criticism and they, they neutered this place. I mean, they put so much water on the greens. They put a bunch of flags in the middle of the greens. And so, I felt like the course was perfect on Thursday and Friday. Saturday, it got a little funky and messy, and today it was a little too easy. And so in the final analysis, I thought Shinnecock Hills was, could have been a spectacular venue. They had it where they wanted it, and they let it get away. And I mean, it, I don't really agree. I mean, you got your winner shot two under. What's wrong with that? Winner shot two under for the day. What do you shoot for the week? One over par. I mean, one over par when the U.S. Open. No, that's great. It was just the way they got there. I mean, the first two days, it was exactly how the course should be presented. And then yesterday, was a, it, was, it was such a disadvantage to be playing late in the afternoon. I mean, it was two different golf courses. Well, that's true. And it, guys were lagging, you know, eight-foot putts. It, just, it was not about skill on some level yesterday afternoon. It was just survival and, and an element of luck with the gusts of the wind. Mm -hmm. And then today... It just was not, it was not a tough enough test. I mean, you look at Fleetwood shot 63, a great round of golf. He, he earned it. But, you know, Reed birdies four of the first five holes. Um, Jesus kept, almost won his first major. <laughs> um, I mean, it just, I wanted, you want Sunday to be tough. And it was kind of tough. To me, it just, there wasn't enough fear. There wasn't a fear factor on the course out there. They were just, I mean, it was wide fairways. Guys were hitting 12, 13 fairways around out here. So they're wailing away off the tee and they could come into these greens without really worrying about it. They were holding too well today. It was an odd tournament in the sense that uh, Saturday was more interesting and exciting than Sunday. Yeah. That doesn't typically happen. Well, I mean, Saturday was, was nutty with the Phil stuff. And, yeah. Um, but it's also, I mean, it was Kepka. It's like, Reed would have been amazing, you know, Captain America halfway to the Grand Slam. Um, mm -hmm. Dustin was the people's choice. You know, I was out on the first tee. He got the loudest cheer by far. Mm -hmm. um, Fleetwood, you know, if he had gotten it done with a historic round and he's a totally likable chap. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Tony Finau, just a great Cinderella story. I mean, any of those guys would have been really popular winners. And I don't think Kepka is. I, I think people respect him and mm -hmm. they know he's got a lot of game and he's going to be tough at the Ryder cup and he's probably mm -hmm. going to win more majors and all credit to him. But I just don't think the general fans connect with him in any way. Let's speak of Phil Mickelson. You're the cover, the subject of your cover story next month's golf magazine. 
which I think would oh won't, won't, readers won't get that for a couple of weeks still. But yeah, uh, it's, it's in the the printers got now. a beautiful portrait of uh, Phil on the cover, and uh, you got to spend uh, well, you got to spend several hours with Phil on a, yeah. uh, uh, on, a on a recent day. What do you think happened on Saturday, and why do you think it happened? I think. I believe, Phil, that he's thought about this, about doing oh, this in the past. No question about that. No question about that. I don't know who would doubt that. Yeah. And who, I don't know how anyone who knows Phil would doubt that. I think that he, he felt embarrassed. You know, he was playing tennis on that green, hitting the ball back and forth. And I really believe him when he says he didn't want to walk down and play that shot again. Um, but I think the major takeaway, it was just a middle finger to the USGA. And you wrote an excellent story on golf.com that readers should seek out if they haven't, if they haven't read it, that had the crucial context, which Phil has been at war with the USGA for a long time in a very quiet, passive aggressive way. But, um, well, tell, tell, tell us and what it's we know. Weird because here's a U.S. amateur winner, a two time Walker cupper, uh, with six chances to win his national championship. And, uh, I think any, psychologist with a degree or without a degree would say embrace your relationship with the USJ because it will serve you well uh, you know it's like what Crenshaw used to they used to say of Crenshaw you know he can't play well a hole he doesn't think highly of yeah. you know I think that's a little bit with something has to be holding this back it was amazing to hear Tiger Woods say the other day it's extraordinary to think that uh, the Phil Mickelson's been the runner-up in six US Opens and this is what Tiger said given how he's driven the ball for most of his career. <laughs> it's true. It is absolutely true. So I mean, Wingfoot, he hit, on Sunday, hit two fairways, and he still should have won that. Incredible. Um, incredible. Uh, and that was old-school U.S. Open it row. It was. But With trees. Some trees, anyway. But, you know, Phil has... He, it's, not a, it's not a secret if you're here on tour. The players hate the USA. They feel like they can't set the course upright. They try and embarrass them. There's a deep reservoir of dislike for how they present the U.S. Open golf course. And There's a deep reservoir for golf course architects as well because they think the architect is trying to show the player up. Right. But the fact is that USGA does so much good for this game. And more to the point, like Augusta National, they present a championship that gives them a chance to show off their goods and I, get big big prizes for doing so ten thousand dollars this week for missing the cut i mean what more could you possibly want well i mean phil he hates how he thinks they ruined tory pines the course he grew up playing he hates tory pines now um you know he famously barked at mike davis at marion um you know they, somebody shot the low score for 70 totals at marion it wasn't phil Mickelson it wasn't phil shot. i mean he he the greens at pebble in 2010 chambers bay Remember, Phil popped his, you busted his wrist in the Oakmont Rough years ago. Um, he just feels like they are not out to get him, but because of their their mismanagement of the setups, that they've affected his ability to win this tournament. And as you wrote in your story on Golf.com, they were going to give the USDA was going to give Phil the Bobby the Bob Jones Award, which is the most prestigious award they give. It's like the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's the the Lifetime Achievement Oscar. Francis we met, Hogan, yeah. Nicholas, Barbara Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Gene Sarris, and it's a murderer's row. And it's Phil the best said, of the best. And Phil said, no, that is that is such a snub to the USGA leadership. And I mean that was not public in, until you, you reported that. Yeah. And that, yeah, it's a very telling it's a very telling thing. Uh, I'm sure if we had him here he'd say, Well, I wasn't ready to win, I was too young, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is they offered and he didn't take it. It was a goodwill gesture. It was a little bit, I mean, this is an outrageous overstatement, but it's a little bit like even that Nobel Peace Prize to Barack Obama before he'd done anything. 
Um, it's an insult. I can imagine Barack Obama saying no. It's hard to imagine Phil saying no, uh, uh, but he did. But yeah, I mean, the reason that we're focusing on it all is it's indicative of where his mind is. But I just don't think that that mindset has served him well. And now, unfortunately, and you would know far more about this than I, at 48, he's running out of chances. And uh, he's had a great, unbelievable career. You can't say enough, really, about the length and greatness of Phil Mickelson's career. He's going to play another Ryder Cup this year at 48. It's astounding. But without having that U.S. Open uh, uh, trophy on his shelf, it's a lesser career. And, uh, you know, when he... When he played early, relatively early on Saturday, he had to be thinking 66 was very doable, and it was. And 66 would have got him back in the uh, in the in the in the U, in this U.S. Open. He would have been like Finau and 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 um, uh, what's his name? Help me out here. Berger. Berger, exactly, exactly, uh, right. Post early and get in the clubhouse and hang out. And uh, so, so all that I bad feel for him. Yeah. I feel for I feel for where his mind was going to that 13th tee four over for the day i really do because he loves golf you know and that's why he's so fun one of the reasons he's so fun to hang out with uh he truly loves the game he talks about the game incredibly well he's an engaging personality he's alive you know there's a lot to like about phil and you can imagine how profound his disappointment was by going to 13 but that was a wacky wacky moment and you know i'm going to say forever it was just it's a blip you know, you, one should not, and no one, I don't think, really would judge his career on that. But it was a very, very, very strange blip because you can't think of another world-class player who would who would have done that. It's true, and it just makes it all that much harder to now. I mean, I was he he was going to be a favorite at Pebble Beach, where he's won four times. Pebble is so short, and there's no room to to stretch it out. There's almost no drivers required, which helps Phil per yeah. Tiger's comment. You know, and then Winged Foot is in in 2020, where he should have won there. So. He kind of knew there was. He had this three-year run, and we talked about this. He and I, when I spent some time with him, is that he, should, he almost won. He should have won at, at Shinny in two thousand and four, um, and he felt like that was kind of taken away from him by the, the crazy setup. And he has Pebble, and he has Wingfoot. It's these three courses where he has he, he has his runners up, and he should have he should have gotten it done. So he squandered this opportunity, and now it, 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 the bad mojo that's going to follow him, the Pebble Beach, and the questions and. It's just going to put it in his head. So it, it's really, it was a really revealing moment in a lot of ways. What is your assessment of where the Tiger Phil relationship is now? Well, it's. And let's remind people what it was like in 2000, I think, four, when he and Tiger, when Phil and Tiger played together at the Ryder Cup in Detroit under the uh, yeah, well, Cowboy Hal, Hal Sutton. Captain of Hal <laughs> yeah. Sutton, Captainship of Hal Sutton. Well, it's come a long way. And. You know, Phil doesn't do anything by accident. It's calculated. Even what, what he did on the 13th hole, that was his FU to the, to the USGA. And so that practice round at the Masters, there was a reason they did that. They're getting ready to play together at the Ryder Cup. You know, they're testing out each other's ball. They're, they're learning their, uh, how, how they want to attack it. I mean, I have almost no doubt they're going to be paired together in Paris, and the world is going to stop spinning. <laughs> um, and that's indicative of how far they've come. It, they are working on some joint business ventures, which I cannot specify, but um, that's that's been a whole thing. And, you know, Phil, I said to him, it, it never made sense that you and Tiger weren't closer. You're both Southern California guys. No one else on earth can understand the pressures you faced as boyhood phenoms to the incredible hype at your pro career. 
winning at the highest level, the disappointments, everything. I mean, they, they should be each other's confidant, much how you and I are. No one can understand our writing lives like I can understand yours right. and vice versa. Right. And Tiger and Phil have, should have this kinship. I said, I said, what's taken so long? He said, I don't know, but we're finally there. And it was interesting. So yeah, It is interesting. Did I ever tell you what Bernhard Langer uh, told me when I mentioned him? Bernhard Langer was, was Hal Sutton's counterpart, in uh, to, the captain of the European team in 2004. And I was trying to egg on Langer, and I said, uh, well, how about that? Uh, how about that? Of course, you're one that very handily that year. I said, how about that uh, Tiger-Phil pairing? Uh, the, was it the first? Definitely the first day. Was it the first two days as well? They played twice on the same day. Uh, maybe that's just that first day. So, oh, right. So uh, I said, you know, how about that? And Byrne said, you only say that because it did not work out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly He's what I so, That really stuck with me because he was so correct. Yeah. Well, and that was another th- that was a, a symptom of the bad captaining on the US the US side for, you know, two decades where there's no preparation, there was no buy-in. Tiger and Phil did not know they were going to play together almost until the day before. And so Phil like had to, you know, go and work when they played alternate shot, they'd use Tiger's ball. So we had to learn how to play Tiger's ball, which is a big difference at this level. Yeah. And so he's already playing with Tiger's ball, and Tiger's messing around with Phil's ball. And yeah. they're going to have six months to get ready for Paris. And yeah. it's, it's part of why I think the U.S. is going to win, because there's just a different amount of cohesion and preparation. And uh, so it's, but it's a little window into their relationship as well. I guess we should address Tiger because he's Tiger, um, even though it seems like he missed a cut a month ago. It was only two days ago. But, um, you know, he, he wasn't even close. I mean, he he blamed his putting, but his his iron play was poor. His driving was erratic. And, of course, his putting was bad. Yeah, it was this. I think he was just kind of exposed in these conditions. What did what did you make of Tiger? Well, in I didn't get a chance to see your response, but on our Sunday night PJ tour or what do we call tour confidential, there was a, a question about, of course, about uh, about Tiger and whether he can win a major again. You know, everybody wants to wherever we go. I'm sure the same is true as it is for you as it is for me. Can Tiger win another major? Of course, he can win another major on some technical level. You'd be crazy to say he can't. I don't know any person who would, who would say that, but it's a very big but. Tiger is such an intelligent golfer, and he's always talked about the steps you have to you have to take. And he used to talk about his junior career in very methodical, unemotional ways. You know, win at this level, win at this level, win at this level. Well, where he is right now, he's got to play like that Sea Island Tournament, Colonial, the Honolulu event, just the smaller events with lesser players on simpler courses and i know this is a cliche figure out how to win again he can get himself in position to win but to actually close the door he is starting over again i'm sure he realizes that i think he had to be overwhelmed by the difficulty of this golf course as he was at memorial now he played well at valspar but valspar is a simple resort country club resort course you know valspar what do they call it tampa the tampa spot they call it valspar the, the tampa event I'm just blanking on the name, but iron something. Uh, Copperhead. uh, What is it? Copperhead. Copperhead. Thank you. Um, But he needs to take baby steps. And it wouldn't be like Tiger, who's so truthful to himself about golfing weaknesses and golfing strengths, to think he's really ready for this level of golf. I think he must know that he's not. I think it's unrealistic in the short term to think that he's suddenly going to win a major out of nowhere without taking these incremental steps. And... The fact is, he's just not good enough. I mean, if you look at the stats, he's very average driving the ball and putting. 
You look at, at Kepka. I mean, Kepka is smashing drivers down the middle. He's 20, 30 yards longer than Tiger, and he's in every fairway. And he's making every that much longer than Tiger. That's interesting. Tiger's hitting it hard. Tiger's hitting it hard, but there's a lot of hold on when he comes to a place like this where there's a penalty for missing. And and his and his management becomes more conservative. Yeah. Well, we saw that when he had a chance to win. Yeah. uh, So kept his hitting driver where Tiger now is hitting three wood or some two irons. And so then he's a lot longer. And if you you look at the top players in the world, Kepka, um, Dustin, Justin Thomas, I mean, the driver is a weapon for these guys, right? And for Tiger, it's somewhat of a liability. And at, and then saving the the putting, he's just not making the putts. And right. so, for him to win a major, he's gonna have to have his best week of the year with the driver and the putter at the same time. That is a big ass. Yeah. And yeah. then and then you get to what you what you spoke to with just the mental scar tissue. He hasn't he hasn't won a tournament in five years. He hasn't won a major in ten. Right. And some of the humiliations he suffered in between the chip yips and the eighty five at Memorial. We can go down the list. I mean this is a guy who played Greenbrier. Yes. That would be a good place for him to play. I, play Get Pebble Beach. Out, play Pebble I, Beach. I mean, it's like he's playing the full varsity. Oh, he's schedule. not gonna want to play Pebble Beach if the weather's gonna be bad because that would probably Michael, global warming. The weather's never bad anymore. It's it's true? like short sleeves every year at Pebble Beach now. Well I mean, or in we, Tiger's case, shorts as he wants to play golf in, which I think would be fine, by the way. How do you uh, feel about that? Shorts on tour? Yeah. Two words. Lumpy's legs. Well, he can wear trousers. <laughs> Colt nosed legs. Mm. Um, it's not a pretty visual, is it? No, no. I, I, I'm, I'm more of a trouser guy. So, all right, we talked about all the boring golf stuff. Let's talk about our golfing life. So you... Where, where did you I stay? I cannot disclose my golfing activity two games at National Golf Links of America. I'm sorry, Alan. That would be inappropriate. Well, and I got in Garden City Men's Club and Friars Head. You got into it? You joined? In a manner of speaking. How does your bride feel about that? I, um, I, I love how they call that Garden City Men's. Men's. Well, there's a, gar- there's a Garden City Country Club down the road, which mm-hmm. is where the GPS takes you. Oh, and, interesting. And I, had, I, I almost missed my tea time. I was in the wrong place. Uh-huh. But... Um, where which is the more historic of the It's the Garden City Men's Club. Is that where yeah. they held the U.S. Open years ago? Yeah, dates 1899. Devereaux Emmett, maybe? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, impressive. It's wow. phenomenal. It's wow, great. Wow, that's cool. But it's weird. I mean, these East Coast rituals, you have to wear a blazer in the clubhouse, but you don't have to wear it in the locker room. Uh-huh. You don't have to wear it on the deck. We have you to have wear, to wear it, it inside on the golf course. In the rest, no, you don't. So, and everyone wears shorts. So all these dudes are rolling up in shorts and a blazer. It's not a good look. That's and, really funny. And so you're sitting out in the patio having lunch. You have to take a whiz. You got to put your blazer on to walk through the restaurant. Then when you get in the locker room, you can take it off. And then if you go if you go in the wrong door, people yell at you. It's just like, guys, it's just golf. Come on, man. One but, of the reasons I started liking these hard collar shirts is because at uh, our beloved Cypress Point Club which is not too far from your Carmel, California home. Uh, you have to wear a coat and tie, I believe, at lunch. Is that correct? Or just a coat? Not a tie. Not a tie? <laughs> not a tie. But, I think, but the hard collar, of course, looks better. It does. With a sport, if you're going to wear a sport coat, it's better have the golf. What court, were your accommodations like this week? Good. Can you be more specific? I'd say with a great friend of mine uh, uh, who has a, uh, a guest house in the back, and it was a lot of my wife, Christine, uh, joined me. We, and I grew up not too far from here, about 30 miles from here in a town called Patchogue on the South Shore. One town over, we had a, I mean, there was a village-owned golf course, the Bellport Golf Club course, and uh, it's a Seth Rayner course. And in, even in my day in the 70s, 
you, as a junior, you could play all the golf you wanted for $50 a summer. Even to now, I think it's only a couple hundred dollars. And uh, so I, I, not on this, I played there recently, and that was a, a great joy. And uh, and then in my backyard this uh, week uh, here at Shinnecock Hills, uh, my neighbor was another, not was a tour player. Uh, well, he, he's been on and off the tour. He's a journeyman named Michael Putnam. Uh, and uh, his brother, Andrew Putnam, was the runner-up. Have I told you this? Yes. His brother, Andrew Putnam, was the runner-up to Dustin Johnson last week at the Memphis tournament. And I, uh, You know what's this, amazing about yes. that story? I'm not sure I knew there was two Putnams. Who would know? <laughs> but this, this is how you roll, Michael. You're, you're in some swanky guest house on, in some spread in the Hamptons. And, and on, in, in the, 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 other, the other house, guest house, is a member, a, guy, a participant in the U.S. And Open. his wife and his dad, and they were the, the nicest, most down to people. They live right near the Chambers Bay course. The dad is trying to build a hotel by Chambers Bay, and they told me about the, the changes that are being made. When they were done talking about Chambers Bay to me, I actually was hopeful that I'd like to actually go play the course, which is not how I felt like when we left after that 2015 uh, U.S. Open. I mean, I'm in the small minority of people who like Chambers Bay. And well, it was spectacular. It's, I mean, it was great town. Seattle yeah. was beautiful. The weather was it's beautiful. It's a fun golf course to play. I mean, I played it six Have weeks. You played it? Yeah, I played it six weeks before the Open. Oh, I remember that. The you greens were pure. Yeah. I mean, the USA just, they, they screwed the duck on that one. But it was... Yeah. I would like to see them get another one as a chance for redemption. Well, what, what year did we say that the openings are? If, if Marion's at 30? 29. It's a possibility. It's a very strong possibility, I think. They, the, the USGA has to go back because otherwise they're admitting it was a monumental mistake. And they don't, they, that hurt, they'd rather go back and have another so-so open than be one and done. And, and, and it's an admission of defeat. So I think they will get, I think Chambers Bay will get another one. Where else did you play? Uh, just those two. I had a, I had a game. Oh, did, you mention, did you mention Friars? I mentioned Friars Head. Okay. Which Friar said, it's interesting because Garden City is the the quintessential golden age course. Kind of flat, isn't it? Not a lot of movement in the terrain, but so many interesting features. That the greens are cool and, and the bunkering and it's quirky and it's not that long and it's so much fun. And then Friar's Head is probably, well, it's definitely one of the best golf courses built in the last 20 years around the world. You know, this is neoclassic, mm-hmm. t- like tons of movement um where whereas garden city is very understated you know friar said uh-huh. the, the the clubhouse looks like the uh, the castle at hogwarts you know mm-hmm. in harry potter it's unbelievable right. and right. they got that it's, it's a total fireplace scene. burning all summer yeah. long and people are just in there lunching and hanging out mm-hmm. and it's a totally different experience but a, a wonderful golf course what happened in the car park upon arrival for you uh, someone zoomed up and, and that was my experience. Like before I'd even set foot on the I payment. I appreciate it, but I don't like it. I don't like the zoom up. I like. I need to decompress and figure out what's <laughs> going to be in the bag, what's going to be out. They're watching you as you're jacking around with your balls yeah. and your your sweaters. And yeah. did, now this is going to sound odd, but did you take a shower in the Friars Head Clubhouse? I did not. Okay, so my my host kept saying it's gonna be the best shower of your life i was like really because i've had some good showers maybe not all alone but mm-hmm. this it was like so much conversation about this the shower the are shower we, uh, are we giving uh the listenership more information than they need or want to know <laughs> they've, they've come this far we might as well give them something to keep going can we segue briefly here to something donald trump the the uh, president of the united states once told me yes after i wrote a long story about him for sports illustrated magazine and uh he said michael you wrote the story with a lot of like I cannot say love, as there's nothing homosexual going on here. That's a verbatim quote from 
the man who's now <laughs> our, our president. Okay, carry on with your shower. Can you tell please. us the, the no, 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 your shower. No, Let's no, go. Keep we're going. gonna get to my shower. Can you can you tell the Trump? Mike Tyson, Robin no, Givens story. Not. We'll save that for another time under different circumstances. <laughs> oh, it's a classic. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do it. Have another. Have a dark and stormy. It will have <laughs> when Riley's book comes out. Okay, uh, all right. Rick Riley, uh, for the listenership, will be interested to know is is a gathering string on a book that I'm sure will be highly entertaining. Uh, Trump and golf, but and let's we'll, go back and we'll no shower. doubt steal a lot of our reporting from our our well, story because that's, that's the Riley way. Yeah. Even though we love the guy. Um, so the shower, I mean, I've there's some good showers like National Golfing's of America. It's that ju- it, the shower head is like, shower. It's like it's like three feet in diameter, and you think you can drown. There's so much water. I like to measure the showers in terms of small, medium, or large pizzas. I would say that's a medium pizza. Oh, I would say that's a large and um, the shower head. But so this one, you're uh, talking about the shower. I'm talking about the shower. That's national. A friar's head. It's 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 not directly above you like at National or some of these other old. I like places. the angulation. I prefer angulation. Yeah. So this one's more like eye level and you turn it on and it, Oh, really? It like no, it like knocked me backwards. The water pressure piercing? Yes. Like I thought I was going to have to call like those swift water rescue units, you know, they pull people out of rushing rivers. Like I was like You could sue your hosts, you know. I mean, I could have been knocked down. It was a joke. It didn't. Then what would have happened to our golf dom coverage this week? <laughs> it was. I wrote nine stories as it is. I mean, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Wow. I wasn't even pleasurable, but it was just. Oh, it, it was. Im- was there no mechanism? I wish you could uh, mellow out the. <laughs> Not really, because it's stream. sort of all or none. <laughs> I mean, it, but it, do you it, think they're overcompensating for something? I think they are, um, and that's. But it speaks to like. The guy who built Friar's Head is an absolute obsessive in every way. And so they had to get, you know, these, these shower heads. On the driving reins, the, the caddy says, you have to take your divots in a straight line. Yeah, however the, yeah. And how about the fact there's no yardage markers on the course and there's no yards on the scorecard? On the scorecard, yeah, it's a blank scorecard. I know. It, it's is, quirky, par, are there par, is the par indicated on the scorecard? It is. It says the whole number and the par, and then you yeah. just kind of – I mean, that, that's not – Par is becoming an obsolete term. I really do believe that uh, – not for us, uh, but for them. Yeah, I mean, it's a par seventy, but ba- you know what? This is not a great example. The par fives here were par fives, but they were they were a lot of guys did go for the par fives here, which yeah. was refreshing. And yeah, it's kind of neat. It was nice to see Dustin Johnson some three irons. You know, he on some of the par threes, and he, he has he, he yeah. tried to go for one. Um, I think it was on Friday. On five, I mean, to see Dustin hitting a, a long iron is kind of thrilling because it's usually he never does. So yeah. that that some of that is, it's just the be- the beauty of the architecture where you, you had to pick a line, and you, you might have you might not hit a driver even on a long hole because it would put you in a dis- you know disadvantaged spot. So um, I mean, I, th- I thought the shame of the way that the the howling about the setup of this place because they this is like Oakmont. You don't have to do too much to it. No. I mean the the course is so good and it's so well thought out that Yeah. It's like I wish you know it's I really I, I know like some of these USJ people, I'm sure you do as well. Mike Dave is a really fine, caring person who loves golf. And it actually makes me sad to see them not be able to get out of their own way. And I think part of the problem, but I really don't know this, but this is just on instinct, is all that Fox money and you know, the, the feeling that they have to spend it. And there's probably spending, you know, it's like a, you giving a, a movie director too much money, right. more money than they need to do. They'd probably do better with less money. And uh, 
the, the you know some of the rough is ridiculous. You know when when you cannot find your golf ball without a spotter, you've got way too much rough, and you're sending a bad message to ordinary golfers. I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with the Fox thing, but it may just be spiritual. But if you, the first year was Chambers Bay. We all know that, that, that they, they, lost, they lost the course. 2016, the rules controversy with Dustin overshadowed the final round. Um, last yep. year was, was relatively... Eh. I mean, of course, it didn't really it, work because it I was mean, such a difficult walking course as a schlep. And it was too easy, and they didn't, it, they didn't set it up right. So it was, was, there was wasn't a... Par, a was that a par 70? I don't even remember. Yeah. I don't think so. Who won? <laughs> I think Brooks Kepka. I can't even remember. Wait, he's won two U.S. Opens in a row? I, Are you kidding me? I got to be right. He's on the cover of next week's Sports Illustrated. Well, that is one of my greatest accomplishments, was getting Brooks, Brooks Kepka on the cover of Sports, Sports Illustrated. Because, let's face it. You know it. what my wife said when that thing arrived? Who's Brooks Kepka? No. Who is this guy? Not yeah. in that tone. Not in your tone. My oh. tone. Oh, she was like... He's a good-looking guy. He's a good-looking guy. I, honest to God, it, the thought had never crossed my mind, but then I started looking at him. I mean, there is a Palmer quality to his look, really. Oh, that's a great example. I mean, he, when he's sitting up there at his press conference, and he's kind of like hunched forward. And he's just all arms and shoulders. Yeah. I mean, the guy does not look like a golfer, but yeah. he can play golf. Yeah. All right. Well, we're out of a dark and stormies. We're out of original thoughts. We should probably cut this off. I wish we yeah. were at the Waffle House. <laughs> But there's no Waffle Houses in Southampton. Instead, we're borrowing space from the Morning Anthony Show. The mor- is that correct? The Morning Anthony Show. Yeah, and, we're, we're sitting in, in the back EHM of the, back of the press room um, in the radio area so as not to bother the typists. There, Do you think Bob Bubka hangs out back here? Nobody listening to this podcast knows who Bob Bubka is. He's a legend. <laughs> you know what? He's, he's, a, he's a Long Island guy. And Very he was, much he was so. Writing, yeah, he was writing columns for... Um, for the uh, the local paper that were quite funny. Speaking of Sag Harbor, I went there Friday night. It was quite. Did you hang with Tiger? Well, it was quite lively. I mean, the Southampton's a sleepy, but there's there's this one French joint right on the marina in Sag Harbor. It was such a scene. I apparently I should have worn white jeans and a pastel shirt. That's like the unofficial uniform. Uh-huh. It, it, everyone was wearing it to the point it was almost like silly. But Tiger has a nice sized boat, but in that marina. There were some super yachts that dwarfed his. And I really, I wouldn't be surprised if Tiger gets a bigger boat because it must have been an affront to his pride. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, his boat was, was barely in the median size. Are you speaking of privacy? Yeah, privacy. <laughs> well, let's conclude on this note. Which famous author, meaningful to you, had logged serious amounts of time both Salinas, California, and Sag Harbor, New York? It's my homie, John Steinbeck. Absolutely. All you right. know, I you know I do call myself the second best writer to come out of Salinas, but it's a big. What about Michael Murphy? It's a big gap. She won two. I've in my own mind, Michael Murphy. One he wrote he, one and done. One great weird one really book. Well, hold it to be really precise. I'd say one half of one. Great, that yeah. first half is unbelievable. It's great. Good. The it, second half I've never gotten. Ever. It's impossible to finish. I mean, it's uh, only a hundred odd pages as it is, and you can't read that second half. All respect to Michael Murphy, who also helped found Esalen. Are you aware of that? Yes, very much so. Yeah, I mean, he's a very cool guy. I don't know. Very, very. All right, cool fine. Dude. I'm T two. Uh, I'll revisit <laughs> the rankings, but there's a. It's, this is like when Tiger had 27 world ranking points and Phil had like nine. That's kind of the gap between mm-hmm. me and Johnny Steinbeck. But mm-hmm. I've often thought if I ever get a tattoo, I'm going to get like, I'm going to get his face on my bulging bicep, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like. like but how are you defining out of Salinas? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Are you the best writer ever to come out of Patchogue? <laughs> Definitely not. Um, well, hold on. Then I have to remember myself. I don't think, oh, no, Murphy is born in Salinas. You yeah, know how no. I know that? You know who delivered him? Oh, wait. Oh, I know there's a connection. Wait, I can't get there. Who is Steinbeck's it? Steinbeck's father. Right. Dr. Steinbeck. That's so cool. All right. All right, Michael, thanks for doing this. Delighted. Um, we'll, we're going to run it back at the Open Championship. We're, we have a flat together. We might podcast every oh, good night. Fun. That could be fun. From like the 14th fairway of the old course. You know we're sneaking on every night. We're going to, about 8 o'clock, we're just going to walk onto the old course every single night and play it till dark. I'm totally in favor of that. All right. Until then, listeners, please forgive us. And um, thank you for making it this far. This is Alan Shipnuck and Michael Bamberger signing off from the 118th U.S. Open Championship in uh, Shinnecock Hills. That's all. Bye. Thank you.